I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Hello and welcome to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. So, I had promised a recovery story for this week, but unfortunately, some things came up for that individual and they have to work. So they have to honor their commitment, which is an honorable thing to do. So this week, I'm going to do kind of a year in review and share a little bit about how I'm feeling in my own recovery after having had this podcast for almost two years. It'll be two years in March. And then I'm going to answer some listener questions. So, I mean, isn't it crazy that it's the end of the year already? I I just can't believe it. It's almost the end of 2021. I have received countless emails and messages from folks telling me that this very podcast is the number one podcast on their year in review. I mean, wow. It's mind-blowing. I'm so blown away by this. All I ever wanted to do was to help one person. So whenever I get those emails, I kind of reflect on why so many people would listen to my story and how on earth could I have helped so many. I just feel so blessed. Well, the answer is clear. I got a handle on my identity. I was able to find myself. I walked the path back to my purest self, and I know exactly who I am. I accept myself, my faults, my weaknesses, my flaws, my gifts, my talents, my passions, my intensity. I embrace living, and I got a hold of my identity. I look back on whole periods of my life and I can't even believe who I used to be. I mean, talk about recovery story. The person I used to be is a complete stranger to me. The choices I made, the people I allowed myself to be in relationships with, the big behavior I engaged in, the way I would twist the truth to suit some false narrative that I created in my mind just to avoid taking responsibility for my own actions. That person, she's a stranger to me. She was lost and jaded. That version of me was alone. She felt betrayed. And she was looking for love, meaning, and fulfillment by feeding her impulses. I did what I believed, not what was right. And what I believed was based on my emotions. I was formed by feelings and led by emotions. I hated discomfort and I loved self-preservation. Integrity and honor meant nothing to me. I scoffed at people who did the right thing. Those weirdos, right? Like, really? You're going to be honorable? (laughs) I judged and made fun of people who believed in God, even spiritual people. Those people were crazy. Look at them worshiping a God. Ha, ha. There is no God. This is random. The earth turns on its axis at just the right angle to keep us alive. Accidentally, of course, right? The day and night. It comes consistently like clockwork, but that's just all random. My favorite books were science fiction books about different realms. Have you ever read like A Wrinkle in Time? That book's awesome. But a spiritual realm with a God that created us, that was insane. I never would have thought that I believe I would believe in God if you would have asked me years ago. Who did I believe in back then? 
Marilyn Manson. I mean, crazy, right? Do you guys remember the rumor about Marilyn Manson, how he removed his ribs? Okay, so if you remember and you're laughing a little bit, awesome. It makes no sense, that rumor, but, you know, it's sick and twisted to worship that all while claiming I wanted unconditional love. It just doesn't make sense. And that's not a hyperbole. The truth was inconvenient. Loyalty was too hard to ask of myself, so why would I ever ask anyone else to be loyal? Because I wasn't. Exerting effort wasn't a game I was willing to play. I wanted things that were easy, while also saying that I wanted a loyal partner and that I don't want to be left. I said that past relationships and people had abandoned me. I blamed everyone else for my choices and for my unwillingness to be taught or coached or helped. I had countless therapists. I had art therapists. I had nutrition coaches. I had residential treatment centers. I didn't listen to any of them. I was mean, selfish, impulsive, and evil. Yes, evil. I mean, come on. When revenge is a choice, is a tool in your toolbox, like evil exists there. Have you seen superhero movies? You've seen them, right? How about even just despicable me? Good versus evil, that whole thing. The evil guy usually plots revenge on the good guy just because he's the good guy. Think about that for a minute. I cared what everyone else thought so much that I'm sure they thought I was crazy. I found loopholes for every problem that I had. A loophole. Like some way to get out of a consequence, basically. Car gets told, cry and lie. Cop pulls you over, cry and lie. Nothing was off the table. I even did drugs because other people were doing them. Just no boundaries. No moral compass. Just chaos. When Jay met me, my motto was, hey, I want to do as little as possible in life. So I would take shortcuts in everything because that's what I thought was cool. I didn't study. I didn't stick to a schedule. I didn't eat healthy. I didn't practice the things that I wanted to get good at. Heck, I didn't even want to get good at anything. I just wanted to be in a relationship. So I just did what I thought the next romantic partner would fall in love with. Man, I don't even know her anymore. She's a stranger. Now I remember. I remember. I had a session yesterday and and the individual was telling me about a huge moment they had had where, you know, they were faced, figuratively speaking, of course, at this crossroads between doing the old thing, the old emotional impulsive behavior, and then doing the right thing. And they did the right thing all while feeling torn and pulled apart and just almost like physical pain because of the emotional intensity of having to, to do the harder thing. And I remember that. I can viscerally feel the way it felt back then because I'm still a sensitive person and I'll never forget where I came from. But still, those behaviors, that person, that persona, that was never who I was. That was just someone that I was trying to be because I thought that that's, I don't know, I don't even know why because <laughs> I had just gotten so lost and so far away from my purest self. So how did I do it? I mean, all I did was get a hold of my identity. I embraced my temperament and my personality. 
I stopped choosing to marginalize myself. Yeah, I absolutely chose to marginalize myself. In high school, I had friends. I could have had a good time. But somewhere along the line, I thought that I would sit with the kids who didn't sit with anyone. I would be punk rock. I would marginalize myself because in my mind, I felt different. And I was. I was overly sensitive and quirky and awkward and funny and silly and all those things. Well, I grabbed a hold of who I was created and designed to be. And then I started this podcast to tell you all about it. I mean, can you imagine what would happen if all of you got a hold of your identity? What changes would be made? I mean, wow, right? Like we talk about stigma of people with BPD. I had to tell someone today, you know, think of the the ramifications long term. If you tell your medical provider, you get that written down on a piece of paper, borderline personality disorder. You got to think about that. Like, what does that label mean to you? Right? So talk about stigma. What if all of you got a hold of your identity and we created a movement and you all start in recovery? What if that was something that you, you know, started embarking on as a journey? Oh my gosh, it would be incredible. And I'm already seeing it happen all the time in sessions with my folks. So think, what if you stopped refusing to defend your character and started listening to other people's advice on how to live and behave? And what if you stopped being formed by feelings? How would that change the next year? 2022 is coming up in not that much time. You have an opportunity to create New Year's resolutions that actually matter. You have an opportunity an entire year filled with possibility and hope. If you so choose it, there's a path in front of you. There's dysfunctional behavior, and then there's a path towards more functional behavior, towards embracing yourself, towards creating that identity. I want you to see if you can walk that path. And the first thing that I want you to do to get there is I want you to start figuring out who you're going to become. I still have that same temperament as I did before I started thinking all of these narratives as a teenager. I'm still this silly, funny kid that I was that all that long time ago before I realized I couldn't control my emotions and I didn't know how to handle emotional pain. I walked back to her, she grew up, and here I am. Life isn't going to be perfect for you. In fact, the other day, Jay said, I was like, you know what? I think I'm a really patient person. And he's like, ha. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, hold up. What, what was that? And he's like, yeah, you're patient for someone who's hyperbolic. I'm like, okay. All right. That's fair. Sometimes I can still be impatient in the neurotypical brain, right? So I still have things that I have to work on and grow through, right? But I can still choose. What do I want to do with that? Who do I want to become? And that is the work of recovery. It's continuing to grow, continuing to take feedback, being teachable, being helped, finding the answers for you. So as we approach the end of 2021 and we walk into 2022, I want to ask you to ask yourself, what goals are you willing to try to accomplish next year? Not just for the first couple weeks in January where everyone starts getting healthy. The whole year. All right. So 
That being said, I am going to be running a group that's going to start up mid-January. So if you're looking forward to that kick and you really want to do this, send me an email and I'll get you started to get signed up for that group for next year. If you're working with a clinician or, you know, another counselor or therapist, bring your vision for 2022. Dream high, aim high, get big goals, you know, bring that to your clinician. Have them help you. Have them work with you. You guys can do it. Just imagine the changes you can make. All right. Let's go to the Q&A. All right. So there was a question that came up recently on the Facebook group, and then a couple of other people had emailed me about it. So the question is, are people with BPD toxic? And apparently Dr. Phil is doing some special, I don't know, and he's talking about personality disorders and whether or not they're toxic. And it came up on my Facebook group and it, you know, it really caused me to think. And I thought, you know, first of all, like, you know, people with BPD, right, the BPD brain, it does do some toxic things, right? So if there's a professional or someone saying like, oh, people with BPD are toxic, you know, you have to ask yourself, like, why are you so afraid of that statement? Aren't, isn't the reason you're in recovery because you know that your behaviors are toxic? Is it just that you just don't want someone else saying that? Is that really like, I mean, yeah. I mean, think about that, right? Does that make sense? So you can say that you're toxic, but they can't say that you're toxic. Or if it's like the word toxic, because the word toxic is so heavy for you. Just think like, wh- what does that do for you? So say, if I say people with BPD are toxic, does that hurt you, anger you, enrage you, make you feel internally horrible? Why? Is the word toxic in relation to something you go through too much for you to bear? Why? To what end will you become enraged or angry or internally lost and broken when someone else says something about the selfish, empathy, empty behaviors of the BPD brain? Does it help your individual life? Does it help the stigma? Maybe you say yes. Okay. So you're saying that it helps the stigma for you to become enraged at someone else telling the truth about the toxic behavior you may exhibit in an episode? Look, I get the general concept, right? We don't want to be hating on people with BPD. It's just not productive, right? Like there is recovery and there is hope and we want to get that message out there. But to not tell the truth about the toxic BPD behaviors, it invalidates the other party, right? How many of you have taken revenge on someone in the past? How many of you with quiet BPD have just shut down and shut people out? Don't you think that that's, that hurts the other people? Don't they deserve a platform and a forum too? I just want you to think about it a little bit because the way to end the stigma is actually the opposite, of getting enraged that Dr. Phil says people with personality disorders or BPD have toxic behaviors. That doesn't help things because you're getting enraged about a word. The way to help things is to educate people about borderline personality disorder, to educate them on how you feel things more deeply and that you have the ability to be stable in your walk and your path and to show them that. So it's just something that you really want to think about. Live an inspired life. 
I ask you how many of you will stop focusing on everything that is broken and deflecting responsibility on everyone else and start reaching ahead. The best gift you can give yourself this holiday season is freedom to choose recovery and then to educate other people about it so that the word toxic is only used in the context of a BPD episode and not for the entire struggle that someone with BPD goes for. Let's keep combating the stigma together. All right, last and final question. How do I go about doctor's appointments so that I get a proper treatment but also don't go crazy running from doctor to doctor? I mean regular doctors, not mental health ones. So this individual says that um, they have a backstory that they have chronic illnesses because they didn't go to the doctor in time because they were insecure about whether their issues were bad enough to see a doctor for. Then also they would get used to an issue and not even notice it. So quite a few doctors were wrong about the diagnosis. And doctors, the, a doctor's office is not a place where they feel heard. And now they have issues with trusting doctors. So they would Google issues and see if a doctor should have a look at it. But then they don't trust them when they don't do the examination the way it's described in the guidelines and they can't do anything right. Um, and so the individual is really just looking for support because they don't trust doctors. And the individual says, oh, and then those frustrating doctor's visits are so exhausting to me that I would avoid another visit while also thinking that I should get a second opinion on the issue. I wouldn't be surprised if many people with depression, anxiety, or BPD struggle with doctor's appointments. So I would be more than happy to hear your take on it. Okay. Yes. A lot of people um, struggle with doctor's appointments and trusting doctors, especially like more invasive doctors. And well, first of all, it's just a lot of emotion that you're putting onto heading to a doctor, right? I think finding a primary care physician or a, or a physician that you trust, it's a hard thing to do, especially if you're not willing to open your mind to trust anyone, right? So my suggestion for you would be to find a doctor that's a primary care doctor if you have that as an ability right? That's what we have in the States. It's one doctor and they kind of recommend and refer to other doctors. And then be open to different opinions of other doctors and understand that a doctor works for you. You know, I think part of the what you're describing is that the doctors in these scenarios, it's almost as if there's this power dynamic, right? Like you go to them and they somehow, they somehow hold the key to health for you. That's not entirely true, right? Like doctors are people too. They have different opinions, they have different trainings, and they have different specialties. And so when you go into an office and you don't feel heard, possibly that could be because you're not conveying the information that needs to be conveyed or because like you said, you have a doctor that doesn't have the greatest bedside manner and maybe they have too many people and not enough time. So you have to keep looking. Now, when do you stop looking? Well, you can't Google something and then have your own idea of what that person can do. And when the doctor doesn't do the exact protocol that you read, then write them off. That's not really recommended because they're the expert. So they might just have a different take than what you read. They might just do it differently. They might come up with the same result and end that way. So you want to ask questions and be very clear, transparent, and communicative when you go and find a doctor and understand that you're not going to trust all doctors, just like you're not going to trust all clinicians. 
Some people really like this podcast. Some people really don't like this podcast. That's just how that works. So if you're going to go in for a medical issue, you want to find a provider that you trust. If you're going to Google something, remember that Google is not factual based. So it's not factually based, excuse me, based on your individual needs. I'm sorry. Right. So if you Google like the different symptoms that you're having and then it says that you have, you know, a blood clot, for example, like, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that aligns with what's going on with you. And it doesn't mean that you would get the same treatment that's written there in the, you know, whatever like medical website that you have. So just make sure you don't set the doctors that you have up to fail and know that, you know, it's too much when you start getting self-conscious about it being too much. So hopefully that's helpful for you. You know, you want to work with a a provider that's going to take care of you, especially if you have trauma related to doctors. So you got to keep shopping around until you find that person. And then when you do find that person, treat them like they're human. Understand that they'll make mistakes and see if you can try to forgive them. All right. Thank you so much. All right. The first question I have is about communication. So I get a lot of questions that are pretty similar. How do I improve my communication skills? Okay, well, the first thing that I would do as a very brief advice here is I want you to ask yourself whether or not you're talking or communicating. There's a difference between talking and communicating. Sometimes I just think out loud. A lot of the early episodes of the podcast were me just thinking out loud. Some of today, just thinking out loud. I can think out loud. I can wait to talk. I can talk to talk. But am I communicating? So when your person you're in relationship with is talking to you, are you listening to them or are you waiting to respond? And when it's your turn to speak with them, to tell them about your day, are you thinking out loud, talking to talk, or are you sharing, communicating in a reciprocal interaction? When you ask your partner, hey, how was your day? Do you actually care? Like, what did you do today? Do you ask more questions to create depth and connection between you? Or are you just talking to talk or thinking out loud? How many of you think out loud in texts and then expect a reply? I had a client tell me last week, you know what? Things are really great now with my partner because I'll just text and text and text and text and text this person. And even though they're doing something, they know that I'm just texting them. And I know that I don't really need a response because I'm just thinking. I'm just texting my thoughts. And I'm like, yes, that's awesome. Because then the person they're in a relationship with is accepting who they are. And they don't have to feel pressure to respond to all of those things. Because really, my client does just think out loud. We all do it. So that's a great way to jumpstart your ability to communicate. Actively listen, ask questions, take an interest in the other person you're in relationship with, and ask yourself whether you're communicating or whether you're talking. And try to prevent yourself from just thinking out loud. Okay, thanks for listening. That was From Borderline and Beautiful, a production of Skeeter's Strength Mindset Coaching Systems. We help frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at skeetersstrength.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Cast or any app 
you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. Next time on the show, we're going to continue our eating disorder series. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from last episode, so let's hear them. I'd love to hear whatever questions you have too. Just download that Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. So, if you like this podcast, not only can you download that Anchor app, but you can help us get this message out to so many more people. Head over to Apple and offer us that five-star rating and let me know what you're thinking about some of our material. The more stars and higher rating we get, the more people will have access to From Borderline to Beautiful, hope and help for individuals with BPD.